0: And now I'm bummed out because I I learned that I took a little sunlight away from your world.
1: I thought his name was Rowdy Rowdy Piper. And I had
0: to tell Tom that it was Rowdy Roddy Piper. Now he's half as fun. and And definitely...
1: Hey. Less rowdy.
0: He could have entered the ring because he was a wrestler. As far as I'm concerned, uh, he could have entered the ring. He was an actor, and before and that, I wrestler, so he was, was a like wrestler. he was like the Philip Batiste of his time. I guess. Who are you, F- Philip Batiste? Who's
1: the blue man in Guardians? Dave Batista. <laughs>
0: You were very off. He's also a UFC fighter, not a professional wrestler. Okay. Very
1: different. Well, clearly I'm conflating a lot of things here.
0: Professional wrestlers are your The Rocks, your The Hulk Hogan's, your The Undertaker's, your The Warriors, people like that. UFC fighters are your Dave Bautista's, and that's about it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That's the only people who have gotten to acting that I know of that I'm like, He's a good actor now.
1: There are so many things I don't know. I don't know his name's Rowdy Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. I don't know the difference between Philippa Batista and... No, no, no. You said
0: Philip Batiste.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Which is the
0: name of, like, a sexy priest. <laughs> <laughs> this is media majors. priest <laughs> is sexy? I don't know. I'm Jewish. We have rabbis who are a- a- unequivocally not sexy. Yeah. Or too sexy depending on what floats your boat water is what floats my boat because i'm not a fucking moron <laughs> building boats that don't float this is media major it's a boat-based nautical podcast i tried to make
1: a boat out of spit and you know what sucked right just, into the ocean didn't it it really did i rowdy rowdy <laughs> so my name my name is thomas Lockney, and i'm rowdy liam senior actually wait can i be thomas rowdy rowdy Lockney? yeah all all right, that's fine Let's, thank you yeah On this podcast. This stupid podcast. This dumb
0: podcast that people listen to.
1: We tell each other stories from our preferred mediums. I really like internet culture and video games. I hate them. I
0: hate them so much. I like movies and and television shows when I watch them. (laughs) Yeah. I like the final product, but I think the behind the scenes. (laughs) Has a couple of things they need to figure out. A couple of bodies buried in the backyard. A couple. It's less of a skeleton in the closet and more like the elevator scene in The Shining, but with bones. <laughs> <laughs> and both the, the TV show and it's like only skeletal tibias and fibias. Yeah. because they rhyme. Tibia gore.
1: And every week we center those stories around a theme to just keep things fun and cohesive. And, and this and and this week, the theme was ratings. Liam. You're going for a stay. This story
0: is called, I'm about to get mad at a stupid thing. Break me off a piece of that Liam Senior bar. In what (laughs) world does my name even come close to Kit Kat?
1: It doesn't, but you knew what I was talking about, so it works. So
0: therefore. In 1923, Chicago-based engineer Arthur Nielsen took a leap of faith, borrowing 45,000 dollars. Yes, I know how to do math.
1: That's a lot of money for 1923.
0: To start a business that tested the quality of conveyor belts and turbine generators. Four years later, the very first industrial market survey was produced. And in 1929, the first consumer market survey followed. Uh, See, Nielsen was an analyst, and he had created the Nielsen Corporation to analyze market data in a variety of ways. But it was strictly, like, business. Mm -hmm. And boy, oh boy, how I wish he just stuck with that. You see, he was just supposed to look at marketing and sales and be like, hey, this region buys more of this stuff, and this region buys more of this stuff, so you should try to advertise to those people. Yeah. Um, then he, in 1936, acquired the rights to... He's just to, like Facebook. Basically. Uh, in 1936... He made a decision where the ramifications are still being felt today. Yeah. He acquired the rights to an uh, odometer, a device that went attached, or I guess maybe an autometer,
1: Automator it's that's not a dominator of odometer, uh, odometer Yeah automator. yeah,
0: so you required the rights to the automator a device that when attached to a radio can tell
1: how many Audis there are in a given
0: area <laughs> um, Unfortunately, it's worse. It could record what stations it was tuned into. Oh Interesting so the result was the beginnings of the radio oh, index development. Okay, which officially launched in 42 1942 of course and basically that was like, hey, people in this region are listening to these programs more, and people in these regions are listening to these programs more. I can even tell you how many people are listening to them. Uh-oh. I'm Arthur Nielsen. Uh-oh. So I've talked about it before, but television, when that came a thing, radio it basically took all the good-looking people from radio <laughs> and said, hey, wanna come on the screen? Hey. And uh, when TV became a thing, the Nielsens were like, yeah. And they invented the Nielsen box, which basically scanned and recorded what channels you were watching on television. Um, So basically, he could tell you what shows did best in certain marketplaces, what channels did the best in marketplaces. And advertisers were like, what?
1: It's it's so interesting to me that the hyper specialization of our culture has like the writing's been on the wall for so long and like even even before nielsen but but once he got onto the scene like that feels like it it started that that started a snowball that like we are we are so deep in it's why all your moms it's why all your moms see only racist posts on facebook So when
0: radio started out, uh, a company would sponsor a whole half hour program. So Uh it would be like the Fibber McGee and Molly Hour, sponsored by Lipton Tea. And they would, like, do commercial breaks where the stars would be like, let's go have a, a sip of delicious, strong Lipton tea. Mm. And people were just like, okay, that's fine. I can handle a p- program sponsoring a bunch of stuff.
1: This Lipton tea pleases my erogenous areas when I drink it.
0: I don't think you knew what radio was. I don't think I know what tea is. <laughs> that's either. You have a basic misunderstanding of most things. <laughs> You're eight years old. <laughs> All right. Um... okay so basically nielsen used this data to basically be like hey channels you can have advertisers basically bid on you guys they'll uh-huh. bid your shows depending on and then uh, you Jesus. show them these ratings and we all make a ton of money and um yeah the rates for broadcasters char- uh, basically it used a metric for television advertisement placement and consequently uh-huh. for the race which broadcasters charge to advertisers to air within a given network television program or time of day called a day part. Basically, it was like uh, chopping every single moment of television up to how much money you can make a
1: certain company in certain areas. Uh, this is why capitalism, sorry, I don't mean to go on this rant, but like this is why capitalism is really bad because because it, it it's not that it's not useful or, or good. It's complicated to, to know like what type of audience you reach. It's good and it's bad. Um but it's it is just bad when the intent behind knowing who you're reaching is purely like a profit seeking endeavor. Sorry. Here's the even worse part of that. Leftist rant over. There
0: isn't another company that does this. Uh, They literally have the monopoly on this because no other company does this. That's
1: so monstrous. But
0: that's the thing. It's like they just they thought of it, they did it, and no one else does it. Like Nielsen ratings are essentially television currency. Mm. This ties in really interestingly with my story. So Nielsen also has like a ton of Wall Street investors that keep it in, afloat, but it also not only has uh, Wall Street uh, Wall Street hedge fund supergroup Blackstone, but Tribune Media, a TV conglomerate based in Chicago, funds and has a stock in Nielsen Ratings. Okay. Think about that for a second. I'd rather not. <laughs> oh, Leo. Like that has to be illegal, right?
1: Like they can't. I don't understand how. <sighs>
0: But look, a lot of places have odd business dealings and need money to keep afloat. How does the actual business model work? Not fucking well. It's a really flawed system. Yeah. Okay, so Nielsen ratings, in the most basic sense, it's like a poll. It's a sample of people, uh, which the company claims fully represents the TV watching public, and they're asked to report their viewing habits back to Nielsen. Um, they're paid for like a, a check of fifty bucks uh, for every time they report this in, and. Um, When TiVo and stuff like that came out, it took them a while, but they figured out a way where you can get Nielsen data for um, television shows that were uh, on DVR. They're having trouble with streaming services. And um, guess how many people you think are are, uh, Nielsen report, like have to report back to Nielsen. There's over, I'll give you a hint. There's over 300 million people in America.
1: Can I, can I get? No 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 it, uh, like a like a figure estimate is unfair. Um I'm going to guess it's really small. I bet I bet you it's like maybe a couple thousand?
0: It's f- uh 50,000 oh, okay. in 20,000 households. Still not great. No, but... Tom. Less than 1% of the country determines
1: what gets canceled. Oh Jesus. Less That's so- less oh. than 1%. It's the actual 1%. It's less it's, than one percent! It's like less, zero, 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 man! Oh uh, my god. I'm bad at math. It's so bad.
0: Uh, but like, the wow. thing about Nielsen yeah, people, ridiculous. it's bad. That's ridiculous! It's bad. Some households are monitored passively, but like the real valuable data that they can track and the real valuable data they want, see, uh, is it comes from something called a people meter. Oh, I hate that. I hate that so fucking yeah, 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 much. Yeah, yeah. See, each people meter sits atop, under, beside, or behind the family set and record whatever happens, what is watched, for how long, what is recorded, and even what is fast-forwarded, and the box knows which family member is watching because there's a small remote control that they have to click. That way they can get age demographics.
1: Oh, no. no. We, live in, we live in the Blade Runner time. We the data, live in the Blade Runner yeah, time. have been.
0: The data is sent to Nielsen that night. Um, so let's talk about the numbers. That's
1: so weird. That's some fucking like Big Brother shit. Uh,
0: the numbers represent share of total viewers. A raw 1.0 rating, for example, indicates that one percent of the raw. <laughs> okay, I like yeah. it. It indicates that one uh, Nielsen's nasty. A little bit. Uh, it indicates that one percent of the one hundred and fifteen point nine million estimated TV watching households uh, were watching this like that particular program. Um, the data is also broken into uh, ratings demographics. The most important being people ages 13 to uh, sorry, ages 18 to 34. Mm-hmm. However, we know that this can't be true because only 20,000 households have Nielsen boxes. So there's no way in hell that that sample size works.
1: The, the margin ludicrous. of error is, is That's ridiculous. Ludicrous. 20,000 people, and it's, uh, again, back to, I don't mean to harp on the moms too much this episode, but it's probably your mom. So listen, a show like Parks and Rec, a show that's
0: good, like, I like it, you like it, everyone seems to like it, right? Never met anyone who just outright hated it. That got, like, a 1.2 on a good day. Repeats of the Big Bang Theory on TBS had 6.0s. No,
1: no, 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 don't tell me
0: these numbers. HBO do terrible numbers in the Nielsen ratings. They do like less than a million, mm-hmm. hundred thousand. Interesting. HBO doesn't give a
1: shit. Yeah. They don't do commercials. HBO. Well, no, cause
0: it's a paid subscription service. Yeah, exactly. Here's the, the worst part. So um, Nielsen ratings don't just measure how well a TV show does. They measure how well commercials do. No. Yeah. So the networks no, aren't no, actually no, even paying no, attention no, to the TV ratings. No, They're only paying no, attention to the commercial ratings no. around.
1: So, hey, give me a fucking Nielsen box. I'll, I'll single-handedly fix advertising. Give me, give me a list. Hang on a second. Give me a list of the names and addresses of every single person who has a Nielsen box so I can sit them down and be like, please, advertising is so awful. Every single time I have to see an advertisement in twenty seventeen where some like weird I don't know like abstract homunculus tries to sell me like a car in CG or something like that. That they want to fuck. It's a it's a nightmare. I I'm like why do why, why do phone commercials want to have sex with the phone? Why do know. they want me to have sex with the phone? Now absent from
0: these ratings and most others because they really haven't figured out how to do this until recently are shows from Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, even stuff bought from iTunes. And like the thing is is that people nowadays have Hulu and don't pay for cable or don't have a TV. So like a show that runs on Fox and then the next day goes on Hulu is probably going to have better numbers on Hulu than it did on the television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're aware of that, and that like kind of freaks the whole Nielsen system out. We're going to add Netflix and shit to our little weird box report system. Mm-hmm. A couple of the companies that have subscribed to the service include A&E Networks, Disney ABC Television, Lionsgate, NBC Universal, and Warner Brothers. They all said that they would totally be in on this. Megan Clark of the Nielsen uh, a Nielsen executive has basically uh, said, being able to follow assets across all these forms of consumer consumptions. They talk like fucking robots. <laughs> Listen to this. Being measured apples to apples by a third-party Ugh. independent measurement is incredibly
1: important for the studios, for the licensors or the rights holders of content. This is ridiculous. It's jargon. This is ridiculous. It's not. It's not healthy that we live in a world dictated by these people. It's not
0: good. Uh, then NBC Universal, which own has an ownership in Hulu. This was supposed to happen next month. They pulled the plug on it. And the article I found, like, couldn't I, really figure out why. Hmm. Um they said that they're gonna try to do something in July. I honestly think that they just don't know how to measure. <laughs> I just think they're all like people who don't understand how the internet works and Hulu is well, like, like an internet thing. The,
1: the internet has services where you can read like website metrics. So our friend
0: Megan Clarkin, I think I said her name wrong earlier, who now during this story has been promoted to president of product leadership. All at right. Nielsen. Nice, nice on you, Megan, we're really proud. Uh, She says her employer will be better equipped to capture every set of eyeballs looking at Hulu after the implementation of TCR tracking software, which should be in place by July. That's literally the the, the Ludvicolo machine from Clockwork Orange or whatever the (laughs) fuck that it's called. Bad story, Liam. I hate this. Yeah. So networks are, like, really scared of the internet. Well, they were. Because um, a bunch of F- FCC votes are coming up that are basically mm. saying, hey, we want to turn the internet into cable. And that's really fucking bad. That's so bad. So just if you listen to this podcast, make sure you're a fervent anti FCC internet, keep yeah. the net neutrality keep, thing, yep. keep the internet free, all that jazz. Keep an eye on that stuff, please. So Nielsen ratings aren't going away, but it seems like enough disruption tends to like throw it off, which is kind of weird, uh, but I totally think it should be abolished. I think I've made that pretty clear. Yeah. And there's two quick reasons why. Dan Harmon's TV show community, it was always on the bubble. What that means is that it's always like low rating, probably gonna get canceled, but it managed to go five seasons on NBC, including one where Dan Harmon was fired and then rehired to work on the show. Weird. That literally weird. never happens. It's insane that the firing happens all the time. The hiring back, never. That's never happened. <laughs> um so Harmon's executives would tell him how like hey man you're doing terrible in the ratings you're getting less than a 1.0 like less than a million people are watching your show but Harmon was kind of like i mean that's the data but i i see the internet i see yeah. people tweeting about it and that cannot be true so but he you know basically runs community thinking that no one watches this show except for like the people that he Interacts with and at that time. He's not like well-known like he is today, right? Mm-hmm. So they cancel it and then Yahoo buys it for one more season and while it airs the company is like hey We can show you how many people are watching a single episode at a moment and they show Harman There are millions of people all over
1: the world watching community
0: like the executives were just full of shit
1: They, they just didn't know what they were talking about
0: and like uh, you hear because they
1: because they have faith in a in a dumb
0: completely box. Broken system. In a In like the sun god Ra,
1: <laughs> who's left us
0: to work on other shit. But the executives didn't care because McDonald's didn't want to fuck with Dan Harmon. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's a quote from someone who works at com- McDonald's. <laughs> That's right, Media Major's coming for you. Uh, and then here's a quote from Dave Poltrack, Chief Research Officer at CBS Corp and a commercial analyst Mm -hmm. we now know how many diet cola drinkers watch blue bloods on friday nights
1: it's fucking terrifying i i i don't have any more blood in my body it all went dry and fallow when you said that you spoke the ancient phrase and it killed me that was so horrifying yeah, awful isn't it i'm
0: so bummed out now terrible right so anytime that one of your favorite shows has been canceled too soon listeners out there know this it's because a bunch of a bunch of people that you don't know decided to tune in to something else a bunch of fogies a bunch of fogies we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back tom's gonna tell us a story
1: but we're gonna hear about another show on the network Back in history class, did you ever take a step back from that textbook you were reading and just think to yourself, man, these people are very dumb? Hi, my name is Eric McAdams, and I have a podcast for you. It's called Big Time Whoopsies, and every other Wednesday on the Major Cast Network, I tell a guest and you, the listener, a story from history involving massive incompetence. Big Time Whoopsies. People are dumb, and history can prove it.
0: And we're back. A dinosaur story. John Goodman voices a T Rex. I've literally said
1: this exact statement before many, many times. All right, Liam, I'm going to tell you a story.
0: Yeah, I know. That's what I'm here for.
1: Uh, I'm going to preface this actually with a uh, brief trigger warning for uh, excessive violence, sexism, and the heavy implication of sexual violence. We'll be watching a video later on uh, to illustrate a point that will feature some upsetting sounds. Chapter one, everybody. Sexism is really bad. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Video games have always been Limited and the people who make and play them have always been frustrated by this though they, though they're fundamentally different mediums You know film TV and even books have had the capacity to tell detailed Abstract visually complex stories, in a in a way that games were once unable to uh, They're has... telling me that leisure shoot suit Larry doesn't look like the real world to you <laughs> <laughs> This has, I pause it, caused a buildup of artistic frustration in games. It's the early nineties and games are evolving. Whoa. my pogs are back. So video games are starting to play better, feel better and look better. Papa John's. Now that the hardware can handle it, developers are starting to experiment with things like FMV, full motion video. Mm. 1992's Mortal Kombat and Night Trap were part of this uh, trend of games doing quote-unquote new things with the the graphical evolutions, though they used improved graphical fidelity in a very specific way. Mortal Kombat is a game about over-the-top violence, most prominently with its fatalities, final kill moves that graphically depict the player character brutally murdering their opponent. Night Trap was a little more exploitative. Uh, yeah, yeah. Though, as a fighting game, Mortal Kombat has its own sexually exploitative elements. Night Trap is
0: uh, a, a, lot bad. Worse.
1: a A bad game. The game is full FMV and features five young women spending the night in a mansion. It's like kind of like a slumber party set up. Unbeknownst to them, the house is crawling with vampires, and the player must help them survive. Through the night. It features some pretty classically sexist elements, certain outfits, uh direction and shots meant to titillate a straight male audience. The writer, uh, I believe, of the game would go on to defend this and be like, oh, it was just like a parody of of vampire fiction, and like mm-hmm. you know who else made a parody of
0: vampire fiction? Roman Polanski. Like it's not exactly a great company to be with.
1: Liam, I have a terrifying video to show you. What are you
0: doing? No! 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 So he's got a claw, they've got a claw around this woman's neck.
1: Who's like clad in a nightgown? Nike... Oh, it's a drill that goes under her neck. Oh, okay. It's they're like vampires. A, it's a they're group not looking like vampires. It's a group of men dressed in all bat. It... Dressed in all bat. I don't believe what I just saw. It's it's a group of men dressed all in black.
0: No, uh, no, all a... in
1: bats, like you said. All. God damn it. It's really gross, it's really horrifying. This nasty, hateful implementation of you know technological progress is kind of the way games have been for a while. It really fucking sucks. Every time there's a jump forward in graphical capabilities, some do use the newfound power for good, but most others just kind of use it to pander to a toxic posturing audience. Through shows of extreme violence, masculinity, and sexism, and racism, and most other forms of bigotry, too, we're being perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. What do we do about this stuff? Chapter two, (laughs) this has nothing to do with the story. I just came up with it before we started. Eat shit, (laughs) Reince Briebus. There we go. It's not even his real name, but it should be. But he should eat shit. Yeah. These two games gained national attention for their graphic content, and adults everywhere had the same reaction to realizing that they purchased inappropriate content for their children. Well, I didn't know this was gonna be the game. Now, they're right and they're wrong. It was possible, even in the late 90s, to do basic consumer research and learn the content of a video game. However, it was harder to do so in an at-a-glance setting, you know? Yeah. During impulse buys or, or a surprise outing for with your kids. Also, some people don't play video games and shouldn't be expected to keep up with the content of every release if they're just gonna buy, you know, a gift for a friend. Or maybe they're trying to get into video games and they they don't know if they're ready for something that's super violent and intense and they want something that's calm. So there's, there's a lot of legitimate arguments uh, for advocating, for some, for any sort of regulatory body. But who would take up the cross? Jesus. David. It would be senators Joseph Isidore Joe Lieberman. Oh, boy. Independent and Herb Cole Democrat. In December. Spell
0: it. Spell Herb for
1: me. H e r b. When it's a name, it's Herb. <laughs> <laughs> Short for Herbert. Wow, okay, this this explains why I've never been able to make friends with somebody called Herb. Yeah, because he kept calling him Herb. <laughs> like a plant. So in December of 93, Lieberman and Cole hold the first of what will be three congressional hearings. <laughs> Basically denouncing video games, that's what they're doing. Yep. That was the phrase I kept seeing, and I for a while I was like, that's harsh. And then I was like, yeah, it's true. Here are some fun quotes. From... Lieberman sub-zero is just the same as scorpion. I don't understand why they're both in the game Quote, I was startled if Mortal Kombat was very violent and as you know, or sorry. I Was startled more I Was startled Mortal Kombat was very violent and as you know Rewarded violence and at the end if you did really well, you'd get to decide whether to decapitate how kill the other guy how to pull his head off. And there were all sorts of blood flying around. That's not not me mispronouncing what he's saying. He said, and there was all sorts of blood. Then we started to look into it, and I forgot how I heard about Night Trap. And I looked into that game too, and there was a classic. It ends with this attack scene on this woman in lingerie in her bathroom. That was the video I showed to you. It, it played- Joe a, Lieberman showed me that video? <laughs> it played a very integral role in this court case. I know the creator of the game said it was all meant to be a satire of Dracula, but nonetheless, I thought it sent the wrong message. Agreed. This is sick stuff. <laughs> and he also called questionable games Digital Poison. That was very good.
0: Yeah, that was very good.
1: He also uh, cited games- My
0: favorite games, Tom Waits song
1: like Postal, which to be fair is an extremely bad, toxic, horrible game and horrible franchise. Lieberman and Cole brought in experts who cited a correlation between violent media and aggression in those who consume it. They showed off studies that said most of the people playing video games were children and made the point that, hey, this is gonna fuck up the kids. In the intervening years, many studies have come out to suggest otherwise, though it's honestly a little hard to tell if coverage on said studies comes from a place of good faith and not reactionary defensive bullshit, in researching for the story, I found a lot of pieces that cited these studies that contradicted the ones used by Lieberman and Cole. But a lot of those stories featured uh, like an extremely aggressive, uh, like have you ever have you ever read uh, a thing and gone, oh a gamer wrote this." <laughs> it was a lot like that. Uh, and they often flat-out fabricated parts of the history they gave. Like, I had to do a lot of fact-checking for this. Uh, and and it was kind of hard to discern what was real and what was not because there were a lot of, like, angry gamer blogs about this court case. Or, sorry, not court case, but he, these hearings that was like, fucking Joe Lieberman and, and big government just want to censor the video games and I should be able to do anything. By the way, here's my tumbler full of my little pony... Born art that I've commissioned.
0: I like that he commissioned it. <laughs> that was a fun touch.
1: <laughs> he's got, he's got fucking
0: petty cash to burn. What, what am I gonna God, burn it on? God
1: bless the not safe for work artists who look in their inbox for commissions one day, and it's like, I want to see starlight, Starbright getting fucked in the ass, bite. R2-D2 <laughs> goddamn Joe Lieberman yeah and then they draw it and do it for money <laughs> and, and make it exist in the
0: world and they buy a food or a shelter <laughs> or a good and hey, by s- the way, service be
1: nice to people who you commission art from be nice to them I see a lot of artists on Twitter being like people are really awful to me Let's, let's if let's you commission Tom, art drop, nice.
0: drop the drop the veneer be nice to female artists that you
1: commission. <laughs> yeah. Because holy shit. Additionally, some fun courtroom drama further muddles the intentions of certain parties involved. A man by the name of Bill White believed that his company had the right to support games like Night Trap. He expressed this as such during these Senate hearings. Classic Bill White move. Another man, went by Howard Lincoln, pointedly and directly took issue with this. Saying that a game like Night Trap, quote, simply has no place in our society, end quote. And was appalled that small children had bought it. These two fellows were the chairman of Sega and Nintendo of America, respectively. And this was also, like, in the era of Sega does what Nintendo don't. So they were—they were very clearly bringing a lot of like outside capitalist competition into this courtroom drama about like, hey, maybe we should regulate and categorize the content of our entire industry. This is not the only. And th- this is the other thing, this isn't even the only source of internal conflict in the industry. So, because here's the thing, some publishers do create rating systems when the hearings kick off. Note, some publishers, meaning multiple rating systems. Sega creates the Video Game Ratings Council, the VRC, 3DO has the 3DO rating system, and then we had the Recreational Software Advisory Council for PC games. So we have three different companies creating their own rating systems that use different nomenclature, and and it's so confusing this is stupid confusing and arbitrary and it is seen as insufficient action all this these studies the internal discord among the industry they're all a bad look for video games the the chairman the chairman of sega and nintendos of america could not fucking pull it together and act classy in front of the federal government. For one fucking second they couldn't. And it made video games look so bad. And to be fair, like video games did look bad because there were games like Night Trap that could just be, that you could just buy. And there was no way to tell that there was these like extremely uh, graphic depictions of, of gendered violence in it. So, so. The hearings go extremely well for Lieberman and Cole, who introduced the Video Game Rating Act in February of 1994.
0: Everything is dumb.
1: The short and skinny of this bill is an ultimatum for the video game industry. Create a self-regulatory body that judges, briefly explains, and rates the content so as to concisely inform parents and children. If the demands of the bill were not met within one year, The federal government was going to create an entity of their own. Chapter three, ESRB. The games industry looks at itself and says, "Yo, well, like, we gotta get, we gotta get our shit together, fucking
0: shit together. We cannot have the federal government. government.
1: Can you imagine if the the government was regulating video games? We, we already, we. I mean, like, we touched on how weird it was that the federal government had an had like anti-drug." propaganda that was part of an extremely extremely racist initiative mm-hmm. whose impact continues to this day Still. in every video game in arcades that's so ridiculous it would have been it would have been so bad it would be so bad if the federal government regulated the, the content of video games by ratings it would be awful so, Acclaim Entertainment, EA, Sega, and Nintendo form the political trade group known as the Interactive Digital Software Association. The organization strives to create this much-needed regulatory body, and Sega (laughs) proposes that they use the VRC rating system. Nintendo says, no, thank you, what are you talking about? And suggests that they create a new rating system that isn't already affiliated with their main competitor. (laughs) In July of 1994, the Vendor Neutral Entertainment Software Rating Board, Anagram ESRB, is introduced to Congress. In September of that same year, it goes live. Its original ratings were Early Childhood, Kids to Adults, Teen, Mature, and Adults Only. I like that Borny dip in the middle.
0: Teen, mature.
1: <laughs> now we have E for everyone instead of Kids to Adults and Even recently, we've gotten E10+. plus. Yeah. And I can't remember in the last, like, three years, I want to say. No, no, more than that.
0: that. Yeah, more than that. We've seen E10 for a while. Which I think is just, like,
1: there's a lot of reading in this. Yeah. (laughs) And there's not a lot of reading in this. So, the ESRB is good and bad. It's good that we classify games for inexperienced parents, friends, people, whatever. Yes. It's bad that often... Uh, These ratings can be used to misrepresent the content, the actual content of games. The ESRB was modeled after the MPAA, and that's not
0: great. We'll talk about them soon.
1: Like, for example, sex-positive games that are just, like, about sex or or consent or have graphic depictions of nudity, etc., will get an AO rating adults only, which means that they cannot be sold on store shelves. Also, although I said earlier that multiple ratings boards are confusing and dumb, just one isn't so great either. I'm, and this is why I was very glad that you touched on the monopoly aspect of the Nielsen ratings. Because, mm-hmm. because the ESRB has similar problems. They are a monopoly. And that power does get abused. So, I should also, by the way, say that most adults-only games uh, are not sex-positive, they're decidedly awful, there are a lot of top 10 lists about horrible AO games that are gross and exploitative and and hateful. When I was trying to find out what my story was going to be for this week, I stumbled across a great Engadget article by Jessica Condit on the ESRB, and that's what gave me this idea. In the piece, she talks about how the ESRB, as the sole body in charge of assigning ratings, is now a gatekeeper to smaller, low-budget games. Because you have to pay the ESRB a uh, fee to get a rating on your game. That's how it works. You have to pay them a fee. How much is the fee? I'll get there. Because because it, it's about to get worse. Let's say you're a digital game. Sure. You you don't have a physical. You don't have physical retail. No, we're download only. You get a rating for the ESRB. Yay. You can sell your game on larger platforms as a result. Like Steam. And you make enough sales to go physical. Woo! As of September of 2017, you can no longer make the switch from from digital to physical without having to pay for an additional ESRB rating. Uh, Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. You have to pay them again to give you the same rating. Bullshit. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Bullshit. So, uh-uh. That's s- dumb. Fuck that.
1: So these small studios who start digital because they literally cannot afford to print and ship physical copies have to pay the ESRB twice to receive the same rating. It's dumb. They, they can't not pay the fee. There's no uh there's no federal requirement for you to get a rating for your game, but in order to be sold at major retail, you, you have to have you have to have that ESRB yeah. E through M sticker on your box. You have to have it, or you can't be sold in Best Buy, or Walmart, or whatever, Target. Circuit City. Circuit City is out of business. That was a bad call. Circuit pull.
0: City. Jesus, was it 2003? Where you're from? Give me a give me a first generation iPod.
1: If you have a sub one million dollar game, you have to pay the ESRB three thousand dollars to rate your game again, again. Ugh. The first fee I tried to find. Uh, estimate or a cost of the first fee. Uh, I couldn't find exact verifiable numbers. I had to go on a bunch of Forums, there were a couple of, like d- deep pull forums with devs asking each other how much how much does it cost for an ESRB rating? And the general range I saw which was very wide uh, Was around one to ten thousand. I saw one figure quoted that was as low as 800 Uh, If you have a budget of less than 250,000, but again, like I couldn't, I couldn't verify that. That's just speculation that I got. And this is the end of the story of how the ESRB was created. It's the story of how the government beat the video game industry. It's the first part of two, my very first two-part story, video games be judged. I've been Tom Lockany, and I'll see you in court. Next week on Media Majors.
0: I'm gonna talk about the
1: MPAA. Cool. That that'll be excellent. Yeah. Ratings. All right. Anyways, so Self-care we talk we, we talk about we talk about nice things too on this show, we swear to God. And we call it the self care corner. It's like our Thanksgiving, but we do it every, every weekend. week and it's not racist. So, Liam, would you like to go first this week for the yeah, self care corner? Fucking,
0: I'm fucking holding Self care.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. It's so cool.
0: I got a thingamajig. That, What's
1: that's... it called? Say the name.
0: Oh, but it's all right. We're about to get real inside baseball. I got a Novation launch pad that is an Ableton Live 9 controller with RGB capabilities because it's the MK2, not the first one, which only was able to light up in red, yellow, and green. Uh, It is great. <laughs>
1: You make fun music with it.
0: I make fun songs. Hey, music check out songs.
1: "Sword Dinosaur" on mm-hmm. Bandcamp. Liam, do it. Excellent.
0: If you don't do it, that's beats. cool too.
1: <laughs> uh my self-care corner for this week. I got to see *Pan's Labyrinth* for the first time ever, and it was like legitimately a revelatory experience. That movie's so good i can't believe i've never seen that movie before and it's seen it it's one of the best movies ever made i i i I, i watched it with somebody who really likes it and i kept like turning over to them and being like This is, this is incredible. It was so fucking good. I, and it made me more mad that Guillermo del Toro did not get to work on a Silent Hill game. I don't
0: wanna talk about it, I don't wanna talk about it. He's so good at doing
1: stories that balance like fantasy, other worlds with the real world and fear in it being like Lovecraftian in a way that is not horrible and Lovecraftian.
0: Look up what he named his cat, um, Lovecraft. That is,
1: yeah, not Guillermo del Toro. Hey, but hey, look up what Guillermo del Toro named his cat because I bet it's super sweet, and he's got a really touching story behind it.
0: Tom, do you have anything to plug?
1: Um, do I? Probably. I don't know. Oh, go go check out my writing on nakedcriticism.com and, and King Me, another podcast on the network. A new episode is going to be coming out soon. It's about The Shining, and it will feature Eric McAdams as a guest. Eric
0: McAdams, that's weird. Wait, he
1: does another show on the network with you that isn't out yet, but it will be soon, and it's called... Actually,
0: it's out yesterday. Oh! When this comes out, it will have already been out. Wow. Uh, Eric and I are launching a weekly show because I can't... Watch it's anime. It's really good <laughs> more, I need a break. It's
1: really good that you're here to preserve the major cast timeline because otherwise I'd fuck it all up and yeah. it would tear the fabric of reality I'm apart. A, I'm
0: the super fan of the MCN. <laughs> I'm the Iron Man of the group. Uh, it's called the Sunday Morning Hangover here. It is a... A weekly news roundup where Eric tells me all the horrible shit that's happened to me <laughs> that I kind of know like a bit about but don't know a ton of.
1: And Eric knows a lot about this stuff because he's an intern at uh, he's a news intern at Paste Magazine and he's done some excellent writing. If, if y'all have a spare minute or two y'all should check out Eric McAdams over on Paste.
0: And I just check Twitter when I use the bathroom uh, at work. So <laughs> that's how informed I am.
1: Uh, if you want to tweet at us to tell us how a awful and long-winded we are you can tweet at us oh, at media I majors us out <laughs> and uh you can email us at media majors podcast at gmail.com if you send in a self-care corner we'll read it on the air it's been a while since we plugged that but you know it'll
0: happen it'll happen it we'll do
1: it we'll be there for you we'll be there for you we're tired sorry it's we love a really you
0: sleepy time now bye <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.